So with that said, I'd like to introduce you to a person who is a hospice expert and employee. She is the community health educator for Crossroads Hospice, Sherry White. And also a family caregiver currently. A very family caregiver, and I'll tell you about that a little bit later, but welcome. My name is Sherry. First of all, I have to tell you, I have to warn people when I start talking. I have a warped sense of humor, okay? <laughs> I have been in long-term care, geriatrics, and psychiatric uh, care for, not myself, well, not myself, but I always said I had a key. That was my difference. But uh, for about 30 years, okay? Been doing this for a long time and helping take care of other people's families which it sounds great and to me that is a very easy job it is what i love it's what i do it's when you become that personal caregiver to your own family when when it makes things really really hard but before i get into that part uh, i just want to tell you a few facts about hospice because something that people always think it's so sad how can you work in hospice it's depressing it's like no it's not we are some of the most partyingest people you will have ever seen because it is not about death and dying it's about life and living that is what we focus on, okay? It is not about, oh, she's only got so many days left. It's like, all right, we got a few days left, so we can, you know, make them really good. That's what it's about. Uh, not just for the patient, but for the families and all those people who take care of. Um, I always tell people, when you get hospice, you get a whole team. It's like you're no longer playing an individual sport. You're on a team sport now. You have somebody to back you up, someone to help guide you, someone to help coach you, as the ladies were uh, saying earlier, through this process. Because it's not something that you know about or you're expected to know about unless you've gone through it before. Uh, some of the basic things with hospice, it is a choice. Okay? You have a choice. Just like they were saying with the advanced health care directives, it's all about your choice, okay? You have a choice whether to do it or whether not to. It's okay. Doctors can't make you do it. They can't make you not do it. It is the patient's choice. And if that patient cannot uh, determine that on their own, it is their caregiver's choice. Okay? It is also a benefit. A lot of people think, how is hospice a benefit? Okay? It is a Medicare benefit, a Medicaid benefit, a uh, private insurance benefit, and a VA benefit. And it's one of the only medical benefits that you will ever have that's covered 100%. Uh, there's no copay, there's no deductible. It is everything that the hospice does is 100% covered for your home. We also, something a lot of people don't realize is that we go to homes, nursing homes, assisted livings, independent livings. It's all about where the patient is. Now in the last many years, it gets a little bit more complicated, so I'm not going to go into all of it, but there are other options. Here in Shelby County, we have two hospice houses, okay? That is a different level of care for hospice, okay? Um, there's also one in uh, South Haven, or Olive Branch. It's right there in the middle. They call it Olive Branch, but to me it's still in South Haven. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm from that area, so anyway. But there's places you can go at end of life. Also, the hospitals now have something called general inpatient. And that really gets y'all confusing on a whole nother level because everybody does it different. And every, hosp every hospice company does things a little bit different with that. But just know, it's just like if you were going out buying a new car, would you just buy a car without looking to see what else is out there? No, just like with a nursing home. Why would you send your uh, loved one or yourself to long-term care 
if you'd never been in it and didn't know, because I promise you they're not all created equal. They're different. They all have the same basic guidelines, and for them it's a book about the sick. But the way they execute those guidelines are different. Okay? The environment is different in everyone. Some people want a homey feel. Some people like the more elegant feel, and there's a little bit of everything here. Uh, so make sure you, you ask questions. Same thing with hospice. There are, the benefit of hospice covers a lot. Part of your team that you get, uh, you get the, the medical, the doctor, who's one of the medical directors. You get the uh, nurse. And the doctors, guys, FYI, most doctors will not come out and see your family, just letting people know that up front. That doesn't mean they won't. That doesn't mean um, that you can't ask for that and it happened. It just depends on a case-by-case -case basis. But you're going to get a, a case manager. And you can ask the hospice, is the case manager an LPN or an RN? Okay, there's a difference. Some LPNs are better, some are not. It just depends on what your preference, how long they've been in healthcare. What are the requirements to be a hospice nurse? Because when you're working independent, out there taking care of people and helping and acting as that, uh, working with the doctor to make sure that the patients are doing what, they're, what they need to do to have the best quality of life, it's important on on what you how you, how much you know, okay, and how you can assess. Because our goal is to try to prevent things from happening. We don't always want to be taking care of an issue. We want to prevent it from ever happening, okay? Because that promotes that quality of life that all of us want our loved ones to have, right? And that we want everyone to have. You have the CNA who comes out and gives special care. Hospice. Care doesn't take away from anything the family does. It doesn't take away anything from the long-term care facilities, what they do. What we are is something to add extra to it. Okay? So they're going to come and give that one-on-one -on -one special time. And they are good because they know how to do it. Uh, some people are like, where do y'all get these people from? It's like we grow them in a garden. Very special. Uh, <laughs> Hand-picked and selected. Uh, so, but they're wonderful, amazing people. We also have social workers and chaplains. Okay, most people understand that chaplains, it doesn't have to, it's not a religious thing, it's a spiritual thing. And when you're going through end of life, it is a very spiritual journey. Whether it's religious or not, it is very spiritual because you are facing things that you've never had to face before. Okay, not only is the patient facing those, the family, are, they're facing those too. Uh, the social worker, uh, they always said, anything that's not medical, or spiritual, the social worker gets the rest. That's a lot, okay? The social workers work with families, and if anybody has ever had a situation at end of life or with a, even with a serious illness, regardless of the age, it either brings out the best in a family or the worst in a family, okay? Um, we have had, you know, the difficult family members, and sometimes it's the family members, most of the time it's them fighting with each other. No, I think dad needs this. I think he needs this. I think he needs this. And dad's over here going, hello, help. <laughs> help us. This is what I want, you know. So the social worker helps bring that family together and acts as a resource tool for a variety of things. Um, we also have bereavement coordinators as part of your team, okay. Grief does not start when someone dies. It, grief starts with the anticipation of loss. So our bereavement coordinators start working with people as soon as they're on the program and follow through. Medicare guidelines say 13 months after a person passes. And the reason that is, is that gives the family or the caregiver 
time to get through those first, the first anniversary, the first Christmas without them, the first everything. Uh, we believe that's very open-ended because no one grieves the same. Our bereavement coordinators work with people years. Okay? We have people coming back 10 years later that something happened, or maybe it's them facing their own health crisis that has caused all those feelings to research. So we work with them, uh, that's open-ended. So you have all that team. And this is my car. I feel like a car salesman when I do this part. Ready? And for free, this is what you get. You get the hospital equipment. If they need, like Emily was saying, if they need a hospital bed, if they need oxygen, if they need a suction machine, a walker, a wheelchair, or whatever, they get all that medical equipment is supplied 100% free. Okay? You also get medications that are related to their diagnosis, which is if they had a heart if we have them for end-stage heart disease, then they're gonna have all their heart medications, okay? And medicines related to pain and symptom management. Now, I will tell you that I've had to change this speech. I've been working with Crossroads for almost 11 years. It'll be 11 years in July. And darn it, Medicare keeps changing rules on us and we just don't like it. We used to be able to cover a lot more things, but now with Medicare Part D, for some people, it does make it a little bit more difficult. No more challenges, we got this, it's okay. We work with that, and one of the things Emily was talking about with the cream is called PLO cream. Okay, hospice says we like to cheat. We like to be able to get away without having to give people shots or do anything else. We want to do whatever is most minimally evasive for the people, okay, because needles are not comfort care. It's not, it's not for me, at least. Some people may like it, hey, whatever. But uh, we're going to try to do whatever we can to make them uh, as comfortable as possible. Those medications are all covered. Okay. You can have, this is a misconception, you can have some speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy while on hospice. If a person can tolerate five days a week of physical therapy, they are not ready for hospice. That is not the end of life. What we do is usually short-term rehab therapy. Maybe if they've been in the hospital and they've gotten weak, we may do physical therapy with them a few times a week for a couple of weeks just to try to get them back to their maximum level of activity that they can do. Okay. So there's that. And then there we have a dietitian on call. So there's all kinds of, like there's huge teams. It's like you also all of a sudden got a football team. Yeah, there's all those 50,000 people on the sidelines. Okay. They're there to help you to be able to, to move through this because as a caregiver, you should be able to focus on loving that person. Okay. And being that person. We want you to still be the husband, the daughter, the sister, the brother, the mother, the whatever it is your role is. You need to focus on that. Let us help take care of a lot of the rest. Okay. And that, and that being said, uh, I'm going to go in a little bit with hospice, and I'm going to answer a lot of questions. Also, been long-term care, but I've also recently, um, about three years ago, I was all excited. I was a relay for life coordinator out in Cairoville, where I live, uh, helping with cancer because cancer stinks. We all know cancer stinks. That's not the real word, but I'm going to be nice, okay? Uh, so we were working on it. My mom was a breast cancer survivor. Yay! And had been for 16 years. Things happen for reasons, and we don't always know why, right? Well, my mom was so proud of me doing this, and, you know, she helped me, and she was there to be a survivor walking that lap. It was awesome. Three days later, she was no longer a survivor. She determined, they found out that she had another form of cancer. Uh, but for that time, she was. 
So all of a sudden I went from just taking care of everybody else's parents to taking care of my own. She was very independent. And uh, she was not 90, she was 69. That is young, just FYI, in case I did not know that. You've been working in geriatrics, that's like a baby almost, you know. Uh, so she went through all of her things. And she was able to make all those decisions for herself. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She was such an independent, because she was a caretaker, parent, mother. She was the one that took care. She was the matriarch of the family and took care of everybody. Made her decisions, did her funeral planning. When she decided that enough was enough, she goes, no, y'all are not going to cut on me anymore. I am tired of coming to the doctors. I don't want this. I'm done. I want hospice. You know, having a, a nurse uh, daughter as a hospice nurse, she under, already understood, ah, that's what I'm going to do. I want to live my life. I want to go on vacations as long as I can and do what I can. She made those decisions for us. We didn't have to. She drew up her plans. She already had who was going to be her pallbearer. She, she coordinated things down. She says, here's my folder. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but when it does, here it is. This is all you have to do. And we were able to focus on having fun and making those special memories. That's the cool thing. Things uh, like Emily was talking about, the gifts, it's called, our programs are called Gifts of Day that we do. It's about making those special memories. Okay. Uh, so I was like, okay, we'll do this with my, my company. I'm going to do this with my mom, too. We, for her 70th birthday, we had one heck of a party. Oh, and did I mention she lived two hours away? So that's not an easy thing. My car has worn out Highway 72. I just want you to know that. So we need um, over and over and over again. Uh, but we made had our Elvis birthday party. The best thing we ever did. Man, we had an Elvis impersonator. It's like, you know, we want to do this right. We're going to do it. It was the best memory. It brought all of her siblings together who had been arguing and bickering. Oh, you should have had this. You should have done this. Oh, why didn't you go get more cancer? They could have done surgery on you and treated this. Who cares? That's not their decision to make. That was hers. Uh, so we had to do that. Okay. My mom passed just the way she wanted to. She said, no one's ever going to have to take care of me. Sherry, nobody. If I ever become incontinent, I'm done. Literally, as I was changing her for the first time, she died before I got her dressed because she swore she was not going to do that. And I got to be there with her. Okay, I have been with thousands of people probably as they pass. It's a beautiful experience. Uh, being with my own mom, um, it, was, it was hard. Okay, being a uh, healthcare, being a nurse is easy. Being a daughter was a lot harder. But we got through it. Okay, six, nine months later, as we're all still grieving, I have one sister, God love her, she's not in healthcare. Ooh, she needs some help. She's, I love her. She's my best friend, but uh, medical stuff is not what she does. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. He's been fighting. He's been going through treatments, uh, doing all of that. And just last week, he decided the cancer came back. The hospital, the doctors. And had I not been a healthcare advocate, things could have gone really, really bad. Here's how the doctor or the resident, y'all know this, y'all know these stories too. The resident comes in. Oh, Mr. Lovelace, you know your cancer's back, right? No, he didn't because we didn't tell him yet because we were waiting. We wanted him to have one more weekend that he thought he was cancer free. Uh, and he's like, but that's okay. We can do this surgery. It's awesome. This particular hospital, and I'm not going to say which one. Uh, it is a teaching hospital, but it's like, uh, they're like, we can do this procedure. It is awesome. You'll still be able to talk. You'll still be able to do this. 
da 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 We've already got you scheduled for surgery. They already scheduled them for surgery before telling us what the heck it was they were going to do. You know, and my poor dad having to deal with the, oh my gosh, I was hoping I'd kicked it, you know, uh, and not even being able to process that, didn't have time to process. You know, I just threw my hand up and I looked at him, I said, excuse me, I said, do you have somewhere that we can go and discuss this? This was at a big hospital. I don't think there's any rooms on this floor. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? Let's go ask somebody else. This is a big hospital. Uh, well, yeah, you, you probably could go to the chat. And we're like, okay. We're like, but we need that answer. You know, the sooner we get this, we want to go ahead and do this. We want to hold this surgery for you. I'm like, I'm sure you do, Skippy. Back off. Okay? When is your residency over? And apparently this is one procedure you really are excited about doing, you know? But are you going to drive two hours every weekend and take care of that trach? And you're going to take care of all this stuff and do all this for him? I don't think so. So we went, sat in the chapel, discussed, grabbed him one of the chaplains to try to help us. Because the chaplain said the best thing. He said, Mr. Lovelace, what is your goal of care? What, are your go- what is your goal? You know, and it made all of us stop and think, going, well, what is the goal? And he said, I want to live a little bit longer so my grandkids will remember me. I want to be able to eat. He hasn't eaten in a long time. He had throat cancer. Um, and he said, that's it. He's uh, 76, going to be 77. And he's like, I'm good with everything else. He said, I just want to be living. He said, I don't want to have to keep coming back to this hospital all the time. And the chaplain said, okay. He said, think it through. There's no reason to make that decision today. Just because Skippy's all excited, and I'm just going to call him that because I just, <laughs> just crossed me. You know, uh, you don't have to be that excited. Okay, you don't have to make that decision today. Well, they had the head of the, the oncology call my dad. Apparently, this is one exciting surgery, just letting y'all know this. Uh, called the head of surgery. They called the person that's over the ENT clinic. They called, uh, you know, a lot of other people. And it's like, tried to then talk to my, call my dad and ask for appointments. He has to drive two hours every time he comes to an appointment up here. Uh, oh, well, you know, we want to just let you know what your options are. It's like... You should have let them know what the options are before you start cutting. So as a family member, it is okay for you to say, stop. Take a deep breath. Let us process this. Get up, like Patty was saying, you've got to get all the information. Because guess what? You only have one shot at getting it right. Okay? I always tell people, death and dying, um, you only have one shot to get it right. So make sure you pre-plan and you know what all your options are so you can get it right. It's very hard. Um, and make sure you have the right people on your team to help you. Okay, with my mom's uh, cancer, her, 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 I had, I thought all hospice was created equal because that's just the world I live in. I was very wrong. Two hours away from here, my company doesn't go there. So we had another company and I thought, oh, this is gonna be good. And I tried to step away you know, and be daughter versus caregiver. There was a lot of things that went wrong. I eventually called and, you know, the redhead in me came out and said, uh, 
now I know why you didn't make it here because you, your company stinks. You know, you didn't do this. I asked for, they only came once a week. Sometimes a nurse would, you know, have something going on and didn't come. Uh, they weren't able to do wound care with wounds are a big thing. You can expect wounds, guys. It's going to happen. If someone's bodies, it doesn't always happen, but it's a, it's a high risk. I knew my mom was getting ready to break down. I told the nurse for three weeks, please bring her something. Uh, you know, because I used to do wound care too. It's like, all we got to do is have a few of these. One day my sister called and said, Sherry, she's got three spots. That's when I lost it, okay? I felt like I could have been a better advocate for my own mom. So you got to go through all that. Ask the questions. Step up. When that nurse didn't give me what I needed after two times, I should have gone straight to her boss. I went to her boss. She didn't give me what I wanted. I went to her boss. And I went to everybody in that community and said, do not use this service because this is ridiculous. Okay. So you have to be your own best advocate. Now, some of that was coming from anger and emotion because when you put anger and emotion into anything, emotion, it can, it can go wrong, right? But you have to do what you think is best. Okay. We, how many caregivers here second-guess themselves about everything they do for somebody else? Yes. Okay. But the thing is, is you've got to make that decision. Make the best decision you can and go with it. Okay. A lot of hospitalizations with people are because we're second-guessing ourselves. We always want hope. Hope is what we all strive for, right? You probably, oh, well, maybe this will be the one case where somebody's cured. Or this will be the one time that she's going to make a total recovery. Okay? Or maybe, maybe, maybe. We, look, we just feed off those maybes as caregivers. Because that's, that's what we want. Sometimes you just have to take a deep breath and say, okay, this is the situation we're being dealt here. Let's do it the best we can. Okay? Focus on every day. Don't focus on the sickness. My goal with my dad, like I said, he made that decision just this past week to not have, not have treatment. He's not ready for hospice yet because in his head that's him giving up and he's still wavering. We found out how much my mother cared for him as soon as she wasn't here. We had no idea what she went through. It was just my sister and I and we are, he likes being baby, he likes being spoiled and that's okay. We'll do that. But you've got to go with the best decision. Whenever he's ready, as you said, that's your decision. I'm just here to support you. I will do whatever I can. Um, but you also, at the same time, have to live your own life, too. And that's the hardest part. I understand that. I've also been a mom for 25 years and have children with uh, special, they're special, they have special issues. That's all I'm going to say. My children are very special. And they were so special, I went and adopted two more. What was I thinking? Uh, I wasn't getting enough punishment already. No, just kidding. Uh, Love my babies, but every person is different and every caregiver is different and every level that you have to caregive is going to be different because you don't stop being a friend. You don't stop being a brother or a sister a mother just because you're taking care of one of those people. And a lot of times we push everybody else away and just focus on the person who's sick, don't we? Anybody ever done that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because that's easier. It's easier to be focused. We want to put our blinders on to the rest of the world. Well, guys, that rest of the world's going on. That's why you need help. And no one can do it all by themselves. A lot of us feel like we're all by ourselves, even if you have a big family, if you may be the responsible one or the financially fiscal, you know, the person who can take care of that. 
find the strengths in everybody who's in that caregiving group. Delegate things to each other. Okay. It's not easy. That's a hard thing for a control freak, and I'm the first one to admit I have got that issue. But I'm not there all the time. My sister and my nieces are. They can do stuff. You know, find what you're doing. Share that load, okay? And instead of a burden, it becomes a blessing, and that's what we all need. Caregiving is a blessing. It's your opportunity to do something really special for somebody that you love. Only becomes a burden when we let it. All right? So, and get all the helpers in that team that you can. And if it needs to be hospice, get the hospice. If you need the palliative care, that's a whole nother conversation. We, we've also started doing palliative care as a, a new term. Not many people do palliative care in the home. You hear about it in the hospital. But it's, it's a step. It's a step in getting more help. Uh, and any other, like I said, I, I could sit here and talk all day, guys. I promise you, I know everybody's tired. This is a long, long thing. Uh, but just know that if you need something, there are resources out there. That book that they were telling you about, FYI, I had to fight with some of my coworkers to get that book. All right? Y'all were very lucky to get that book because we only got so many copies. Everybody's like, no, I want it, I want it, I want it. It is a great resource. There are people out there to help. Now, sometimes it may not be as much help as we want, but guess what? A lot of times there's more help out there than what you think. Okay. You do not have to go through this journey alone. There's somebody out there that can help you. Uh, and reach out. Get those resources. Ask for help. It's okay. But as, uh, as Patty said, still take care of yourself in the process. You have to do that. Because you're going to be here even after that person is not. It's a hard reality to face, but you're going to. And you want it to be the best you that you can be. And if you're tired and burned out, I've got a sheet, and I didn't have a lot of copies of it. One of our speakers does a thing on compassion fatigue. Huge, huge. As caregivers, as professional caregivers, we definitely get into the compassion fatigue because you just get tired of caring because you're overwhelmed. And especially if you've had a succession of people that you're caregiving for, you can get very, it's, there's a difference between burnout and compassion fatigue. Some of it is very, very close, but compassion fatigue is an emotional, physical thing. Okay, burnout is often comes from uh, more of a physical. It can be mental too, but there's a lot of physical to it. Uh, they're very close, but just know you've got to know the warning signs. And it was funny. I promise you, if I let, read my list, everything that she, Patty was saying, check, 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 check. It's all there. Because, you know, we try to fix everything. We try to make everything right. We, we hope that everything is going to be okay. We, you know, wish that they could have this back again or do this. We have no control on yesterday, right? But we can control today. Make those memories. Okay, something else that we do that's very special and I did not get a chance to bring one with it. It's called a memory journal. And I go out and speak to seniors, uh, probably about five to 600 a month that I speak to. Uh, and I always tell them too, the best gift you can ever give someone is your story. You can't buy it at a store. Okay? You can't order it online. 
even though you know you could you could order these books online once you put the information in there. But but we tell them that you know write that story down because when that person is gone, their story's gone unless there's some way for it to go. So even if you're talking about a two-year-old child, you have a child, the best gift to give to them, guess what, is the story. Okay? How did mom and dad meet? You know, what kind of dog did y'all have? You know, what pictures of the first house? You know, things that you don't think about until someone's gone. And I would give anything to ask my mom some questions that I always assumed I would be able to. You know, people tell you, and you, when you're younger, you just go, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. That's just an older person telling the story, right? Then you're like, darn it, I wished I would have listened. Uh, because you want those stories to go on. So write your story down. It's therapeutic. Not only for them, it's therapeutic for you to have that life reflection and see what all has happened. Okay? Wow, we've had some good times. And guess what? Leave blank pages for the good times that you're getting ready to have. And make those things happen. Okay? Spend, uh, plan those special events. And if someone has passed, that doesn't mean that they're out of your family because they're still there. It's okay to recognize them. And it's hard when you move on with different traditions from people after they've passed. Make new traditions, but also honor some of the old traditions that you have. It's okay. There's no rule book. We all act like there's a rule book, and we're trying to follow up. <sighs> you know, I went to the cemetery on this day, and I did this, I did this, check, my list is done, I'm good. It doesn't work that way, okay? Make up your own rules. Be happy. That's it. Don't worry, be happy. Write that song. Man, I wish I would have written that song. Could have had lots of money. That would have been awesome. Okay? Could have not adopted a few more people. Just kidding. Okay, I guess now, like I said, if uh, there's nothing else like that, I can go on forever, and I'm trying to stop myself. I have to keep real myself back in. Uh, but if you want to, now we can answer some questions from, from you guys. I'm sure that if anybody has any questions about anything in life, Eddie, come on up. Come on up. No questions on anything? Okay. Oops. Both of y'all kind of at the same time. We'll go ahead. Thank you. Well, I have a question. You, I'd like you to clarify uh, the criteria for being, uh, meeting the hospice criteria. Okay. There is a lot of gray area. Okay. And I, like I said, I didn't go specifically in that, but I will. The, the Medi Okay, Medicare, you will hear a lot of people say, what's a Medicare benefit? Well, guys, guess what? You don't have to be 65 and older. You don't have to have a disability. You don't have to be on Medicare for that benefit. It's for anyone. But the guidelines, most insurance companies uh, will always follow usually what Medicare guidelines are. The Medicare guidelines say a person has to have six months or less to live if the disease progresses in its natural state. Well, guess what? We could all have the same disease, and it's all going to progress at a different rate. So it doesn't mean that there's, a, and then there's not a crystal ball. I have been looking for it for 11 years, and I have yet to find it. I go to every antique store I can trying to find that crystal ball. It doesn't work that way. But if you either the choice, if you either choose not to have aggressive care, okay, like my parents did, or possibly there's no other care treatment out there that you are eligible for. That's a hard one for doctors to tell you that there's nothing else I can do. That is one of the most difficult conversations the doctor has with a patient. And a lot of them avoid it like the plague. Um, but 
So the, the easiest thing to do if you do not know is you can call, do your research, call whatever hospice you think and ask them for an evaluation. You have to have a doctor's order, but that all the doctor has to have is say, I want an evaluation for hospice. Talk to your healthcare provider. And a lot of them, guys, they don't go around with a pocketbook saying these are the guidelines for hospice. That's not what they do. Okay? They may say, okay, yeah, she's not doing well. I don't think there's a lot more. Let's go ahead. The one thing families say after we uh, send out a survey many months later and other hospices do too, and the one thing that all families say, the only regret they have about hospice is not getting it sooner, not utilizing that benefit earlier. Because they go through, you go through those struggles by yourself when you found out you could have had all these resources the whole time. It is not for the last few days or weeks of someone's life. Okay, we, have, we have had some people up to three and four years. Now that is not everybody and we would get in a lot of trouble if we did that. Uh, but if that person continues to decline, okay, some people are going to decline, they are As long as we can show that they are continuing to decline, they continue to have those Medicare benefits. And as Patty mentioned one time too, the billions of dollars it saves healthcare. So many people are, every time you call 911 for someone who can't be treated or helped, they're gonna, the ER cost, the ICU cost, the cost out of that person's life is, is immeasurable and the family. So you just have to think about that. So if you have a question, all you have to do is ask. Call any of the hospice of your choice and ask. Okay, call a couple of different groups and interview them, okay? You should. You ask car dealers about the car specials, why couldn't you ask somebody <laughs> what people do? Okay, and some of the good questions to ask is, um, you know, how often, what are the frequency of the visits? Do you have dedicated on-call staff? Okay, and are you, you try to be there when people are um, dying, okay? We feel that's the time people need us most, not the time they need us And uh, like I said, we, right now we're running about 80%, we have about 80% of people desperate. The national average is 20%. The requirement is zero. It's one of those things, what extra things, okay? Those are just some questions to ask. What features are on that new car? That's what you need to know, right? Okay. That's also a good thing to think about when you're asking about a new medication or another procedure. What you really want to know is what are the benefits? What are the burdens? What is this going to do for my loved one down the line? Is this, is this gonna help? Is this going to improve their situation? Is it gonna maintain it? What, what are the chances and what are the burdens? Real important. May I say one thing while we're, before we take the next question, while we're sitting, remember you have evaluation. Please make sure you fill those out before you can help us. As I was listening okay. to all three of you all, and one of the things that I'm really interested in is the legislative piece of palliative care. I'm the, uh, what we call the legislative advocate for the Tennessee uh, ACS CAN. And one of the things that you all really talked about, uh, in different ways was how the education that the, your Skippy mm -hmm. didn't have and how the education that is given by hospice. So I, I am interested in what you think about 
there's a, a bill now looking at palliative care and how to get more education on hospice to the students, to the schools. So what's your feeling on that? Uh, there can't be enough. That's all my, my biggest thing. Yeah, something that we've tried to do, we've tried to take on, and it's not an easy task, but um, my whole job is education. That is not a requirement. It, that is something my company, uh, uh, we're owned by a family, and the family feels that that is, you know, we keep telling them that's our biggest problem, or the doctors don't understand, the nurses don't understand, the families. So we work very hard. We work trying to, if I can get those nurses in schools, and the doctors are a little harder, because they're just, you know, it's different. Um, and we try to do as many educational pieces as we can in whatever types of health care. Um, but it does need to be a part of their education. Okay. Uh, they should be as excited about helping a person's family with end-of-life decisions as they are about doing a new surgical procedure. And when that happens, we all win. But it's going to take a lot of people and, like I said, uh, Doctors are learning, physicians and schools are learning more non-traditional methods now. It's, it's starting to be more of a requirement because traditional means of medicine don't always work. Uh, and you need the other things, the, the stress management part, the emotional part, the uh, supportive part, and everything else. I mean, we're very complex people. There's not one easy decision for any of us. Um, so anything you can do. You know, and also, this is what we try to do at the coalition, is to educate the community. Because a lot of these changes will come through our education, and then our pushing, our asking these questions, and demanding this, and wanting to know what's the, what's the good part of this change in medication, or this change in... It has to come also from us, but we can't do it if we're not educated, just like I wasn't educated in the healthcare system. Um, but the more you know, and the more you tell your families and your friends, the more all of this helps to get changes. And there the great thing is on the coalition, there's a great group, a very diverse group of people that are there, and everybody's trying to take it out that information out into their unique areas, and that is going to help a lot. Please let us know on your evaluations if you are part of a group, church, whatever, that would like, because we do speaking engagements, and if you know of a place that would be good for us to come speak, write that down or talk with, talk with one of us. And let me just say on this, there is a lady named Norma if you saw the movie Driving Miss Daisy, uh, she has a website called Driving Miss Norma. She's 90 years old. She was diagnosed with cancer. Doctors told her what she was in for, and she said, I don't want this at 90. I'm going to take off and see the world. And her son and daughter are taking her. She's had a hot air balloon ride. She's done this, she's gone here. All the places that she wants to see, and they say, we don't know what tomorrow brings, but this is what she's doing. She is living in the present now. She has decided not to do all this. I think it's the most wonderful sight in the world because she is do she's made her choice about what she wants to do with her life. It's great. Okay, so I'm understanding that palliative care comes to the whole world of hospice care. Palliative care, okay. Hospice is palliative care. Palliative care is a comfort 
uh, comfort measures, okay, comfort care, pain and symptom management, uh, hospices, uh, palliative care for people who have terminal illnesses. Palliative care, as in home palliative care or palliative care on the hospitals, it was originate, its original intent is to um, help with pain and symptom management for anyone in an acute illness. What it has become, because it sounds so much prettier and nicer and softer than hospice, it's easier for doctors to sometimes make a recommendation to palliative care than it is to hospice care. So it's it's a you know palliative care is uh, something you're going to hear more and more about because this is a funny thing with legislation. This is I talk to seeing I talk to all different age groups and different people, but I always say we have come in our medical world that we have an ology issue. Okay, your cardiology, you have your neurology, you have your you know dermatology. You've got so many different ologists on your bus, and nobody wants to drive it. It's great to have all these people ride your bus to take care of their little piece of the puzzle, but there's nobody who's wanting to drive that uh, bus to say, okay, let's all get together. Let's make sure we're all in the same, going in the same direction and we're getting somewhere and we're just not sitting parked in a parking lot just taking care of little pieces. Uh, part of palliative care, what it does is it helps. It's a bridge. The palliative care for home palliative care, um, you get the team that is looking at, they don't make, our nurse practitioners and doctors don't make any changes in the healthcare. What they do is educate, teach, and uh, write, um, they consult with a doctor and say, these are my suggestions. Okay, this is what I'm seeing for Miss so-and-so. Uh, it's kind of like a safety net or a bridge in between all of the different ologists. Okay, so I call it more like, in my goofy analogy, they're like your GPS, okay? This is where we need to go to get Mr. So-and-so to where he is comfortable. Usually palliative care is a lot less care. The, the consult for home, one time a month, you still get aggressive care. You still can be on dialysis. You can still be getting chemo, radiation, whatever. Uh, because they're not taking place, they're just taking care of those symptoms and looking out for you to be uh, comfortable. And that's kind of, there's a lot more to it, but I know that's kind of hard. Sherry is speaking, I think, in large part of palliative care as performed by an agency. But truly palliative care is, is care to relieve symptoms. And a doctor can give palliative care. A hospital can give palliative care. So every, every healthcare person was trained to focus on pain and symptom management. Everybody. But unfortunately, I don't know why, where we ever got off track that people that were not all responsible for that. You know, I wish I knew. And another difference being that with hospice statements for me, there's certain aggressive interventions that if you decide to do, you go off hospice. Is that not correct? Pardon? If you um, have decided to have cancer surgery to cure you, mm -hmm. then you would no longer be eligible. Right, hospice. yeah. Hospice is when they're either you choose not to have aggressive care or the, there is no aggressive care out there that can help you. And yet the good thing too about hospice is you can change, you can get on it and off it as many times as you want. Now if we're not doing a teaching part in between there, Medicare or your insurance or whoever's provide, paying for it is going to look at us real funny. But it does help. And there are people who graduate from hospice too. Uh, and palliative care is a great way to help monitor them to make sure that everything is uh, going well, you know, in the, 
in the interim until they have, as she, uh, Patty would say, in that next level decline. Are you? I can't remember which one. Sorry. But but a person a person regardless of what kind of intervention they're choosing can get palliative care. And we have people that die on palliative care if that's their wish. That's okay. They don't have to have hospice. It's, and then, like I said, in palliative care in the hospital, there are people dying on palliative care in the hospital every day because that is what's best for them. And that's the whole thing is what is best for this particular person and their particular family. Okay? That's the same way with the hospice houses, which are wonderful for people if that's their decision, if they don't want to die at home, if they... Either the family can't help or maybe it's a disease process that is just going to take too much intervention for families to try to do that at home, then that can be a great place. So there's so many different levels of care. You just have to have the resources out there to know what they all are. Okay. Anything else? If we have no further questions, we're pretty much done. Do thank you for coming and do fill out your evaluation. <laughs>